I'm Terry Simmons and you're listening to KTVS3's Doc Talk. This is the place to be to hear informative, forward-thinking, solution-based discussions about what contributes to our mental health and our overall well-being. You can download a new episode every other Wednesday morning wherever you listen to podcasts. And joining us today is Dr. Katherine Vanderloos. We're going to be talking about menopause and how it can affect your mental health. And a lot of things, we were just talking before we came on, we've discovered we're just really going to, in this episode, pick it apart and start from scratch and talk about what menopause is, how it affects our mental health, how our mental health can affect menopause. There's so much to talk about. Thank you there for is. being here. Thank you. So where do we start? Let's first let's talk about, do we need to define menopause? Well, we might need to do it again. We've let's done do it before. It. And so it's officially when you've not had a period for a whole year or if you've had surgically removed ovaries because it's the absence of ovarian function. So either it's physiologic or it's surgical. And uh, it's, you know, the loss of estrogen, the loss of testosterone, the loss of progesterone, and they all happen in different phases. So usually I think of the testosterone, which is male hormone, and, and people forget we all have a little bit of it, and sometimes people really miss that, and some people never miss any of them. So that's where it gets to be a little tricky. So um, first you lose the testosterone, so you may have some fatigue, you may have some fogginess, you know, but you're also in the throes of life, you know, you've got kids running, running all over, you know, or you're worried about them running all over, <laughs> um, you know, you're going through all kinds of life changes, it's another chapter. So um, ovulation may go away or become very infrequent, which leads to periods either getting lighter and off into the sunset, which is what we hope they do, or getting heavier and closer, and then there's something we can do about it. Um, and then, of course, usually about that time, you start to notice some hot flashes or night sweating or vaginal dryness, which causes pain. And those are low estrogen things. And so you mix it all up. You have to kind of just kind of peel them away and see what's, what, what are the main symptoms? What's bothering you the most? And that's what we attack first. Okay. Is there anything else like um, physically, like your skin? Does your skin change? Does your hair change? That's anything a very like that? individual thing. Mm. Um, skin, sometimes it changes. And so uh, replacing the hormones, the patients will say they really noticed it. Now, sometimes I had one patient who had very dry skin, and one of the side effects of testosterone is oily skin, which is what we don't want to have the patient have. But she says, no, no, I don't want it fixed because I'm so much better. Leave it alone. So that's an individual thing. Um, you know, some of the other, the hair drives everyone crazy, us, the dermatologists, because there's so much, and it takes so long to see a change when you start to implement treatment. So um, one of the things to always check for women is to check their thyroid because uh, thyroid disease, low thyroid is more common in women, more common as we get older. So um, it's important to check your thyroid functions and not just the TSH, which has been a gold standard for a long time, but to check the free uh, T4 and free T3 because sometimes a small replacement can make a huge difference in some of the symptoms. And it's not just age. No, it's not just age. It isn't. And I never like that um, phrase because, uh, you know, what is age and what's appropriate for that age group? You know, the only time I, say, I get annoyed with that is when, you know, they ask for what's the risk factor and it's your age. So your reward for living older is you get all the risk factors for everything. 
<laughs> true, that's true. But I guess it's a pretty good trade. It's a it's good trade-off. Right. Yeah. That's right. And just because you're at risk doesn't mean you're going to get it. Exactly. So you can overcome exactly. those risks. Right. And you know, there's a lot right. of positives to that. Well, and you know, in the hormone replacement, it's been up and down over the years. When we only had a, few, a, a couple of options for the estrogen, um, we knew at that point we didn't have we didn't have cholesterol medicines, we didn't have bone densities or bone, bone medicines, and we knew that estrogen would, um, people would start to lose bone density, and then we put them on their estrogen, and they did great, and then as we started to taper them off, they would start to lose their bone density again. So, you know, that, it does a lot, and testosterone will help with bone. You know, these things are all multifactorial. Um, and you know, mental health is a big part of the. It's very physical. I always mm. say the parts of depression are a very physical feeling, and so when you can't get off the sofa and then you're depressed because you can't get off the sofa, you know that's a very physical thing. So you have to kind of tease these things away. Um, we ha we used to think it was just sleep deprivation, which really can be a problem with hot flashes at night. Um, the hot flashes keep your brain awake, even if you're not awake. So um, you don't get that restful REM sleep. So I love the little watches that we have now. We can look at our, I'm, I'm a number person, <laughs> but I also try to not treat a number. So, um, but you can really see a difference in someone who's sleep deprived from low estrogen and replace them. And then you start watching their REM and it starts to build up and they feel so much better. and. You know, they wake up refreshed rather than more tired than we went to bed. Um, but it turns out also there are very nice articles about showing the decrease in estrogen uh, makes people more prone for depression and, and anxiety. Now, who's the chicken? Who's the egg? The ones who have had issues may have it more. Um, you know, but you still have to treat the whole patient. And you know, and again, I'm speaking of life changes. You know, divorce, job change, empty nest. You know, even good things can really rock your boat. So I think it's always important. I, I really believe in checking numbers and getting hormones replaced adequately if, if it's indicated, if things are bothersome. That's the operative word for if you're having some hot flashes but it's not bothering you, don't do anything about it. Mm -hmm. Just kind of watch it. If it becomes bothersome, then you do, and you're allowed to do something about it. I think it's, it's a time of empowerment for the patient. Um, but we also have to think about, um, you know, antidepressants, anti-anxiety. Um, I'm a big one for counseling. I think that helps immensely. Um, and you know, counseling and and the medications, each by them, you know, they're better together than separately. Um, if you can, you know, not have to use medications, great. That's wonderful. If some mindful meditation will help you kind of refocus and not be internalizing all the anxiety. Excited of the world. I mean, you could yes. if you watch if you watch the TV too much, you know. You can. <laughs> but you see so much, so many things, and you feel so bad, or you feel you can't do anything, you know, um, about it. So I think all you know, you really have to look at the whole picture. Mm -hmm. And that is a good point. Sometimes we'll watch TV, and there's so much that we can't do anything about. And then you can even turn off the TV, and then you'll find that you're bringing more into your life that you can't do anything it about. Is. You'll attract even more because you'll be in that mindset of there's so much. I can't do anything about. Exactly. So my child is doing this, I can't do anything about it, or <laughs> my body's out of whack and I can't do anything about right. it. So mindfulness really does help. When I you're think in, it's a great, yeah. it's a great thing. And whatever works for you, mm -hmm. if, you know, praying the rosary, I grew up as a Catholic and we would, you know, that was my mother or my grandmother. My mother used to have a St. Anthony statue and he had one leg, it was three legs and he had one leg broken off. So if she needed something, she'd put him on his head. 
So we, <laughs> and it always happened, you know. It always so happened. It worked, see, it worked out. So it worked. you know, her little statue. So when we when we cleared her house, I wanted the little statue. Oh, I would want that too. <laughs> so that would that be meaningful. Yeah. Do you think we're moving into that? Whether it's because of coming out of the pandemic or not, um, that we really are paying attention that it's individual. And if something is wrong with you, it's wrong. It's okay to it's talk okay about for it. To ask it about right. It. And I think that's a big deal. I mean, I think with with the um, with COVID, we all were internalized, and that wasn't a good thing. We isolated, you know, social isolation is the worst thing for anybody, no matter what age. Yeah. And um, I think it created a lot of issues, or maybe it just brought them out, so you were you were able to cope. But then this just threw you off, you know. Um, so yeah, I I think we've. Over the years, it's been something that it's okay to talk about it. Again, I always think about my mom. She talked about PMS, and she had a terrible time with it, but she said, you never talked about it. People would lock you up. And she said, you girls live in a good time. And this was some time ago, you know. So I encourage patients to talk about it, and I think support groups. And, you know, even with you know, all the craziness of the, of the COVID thing, everybody got used to using the podcasts and... Um, you know, Zoom and stuff like that. And I think that's been a wonderful thing. It lets people out of their house. I mean, I do knitting podcasts all over the world, so I love seeing what other people are doing in their country and all that kind of stuff. And that helped me through through when we were first locked down because, you know, man, you're in the house. Um, but I did almost get a PhD in knitting, so <laughs> <laughs> my, my expenses on my hobbies went up a little bit. So. <laughs> but, you know, I think, I think it does empower people. I think it's caused a lot of craziness that sometimes people don't even realize that loss of control. And then, you know, jobs change and, you know, working from home as opposed to going, you know, to the office, you know, you miss that camaraderie, although you don't miss the commute. So a lot of people, you know, that's, that's an hour time that you can use something productively or do something for yourself. Yeah. yeah, and so it's easy to spiral into, this is different, this is wrong, this is scary, is. instead yeah. of saying, wait a minute. Yeah. What, exactly. is, what is going right here? Yeah. It seems like we're coming out of a lot of things that went right, like people not wanting to go back to the office, right. wanting to be hybrid, where at first they were like, right. I feel cut off, and then it was like, well, wait a minute, I'm, I'm more functional here. Well, it is very interesting. It's created a whole world, which I don't think anybody has, has an answer because it's never been like that. Oh, yeah. there's an awful thought, you know. <laughs> but, um, you know, you learn to be more efficient, so you got you got by with fewer people. Well, that's not good for the people who needed that job. On the other hand, maybe they were they, maybe they were channeled into doing something else that they really loved, or something new that they'd always wanted to try. And I think that's part of the age group that I treat as you're entering into menopause and going through it. It's a different chapter, and you're allowed to focus on you more. You may you know you may still have family dependence, but you're, it's a little different. And um, so I think. I always tell people, if something stops, maybe it's time to just do something that will just give you a lot of fun. Try something, now take some courses or, or um, you know, spend some time, donate some time, you know, in something that might you might like to teach kids or, you know, stuff like that, that can bring goodness to people. Absolutely. Yeah. And do you find that that has changed over the years that now more doctors are saying more of that kind of stuff? Like, wait a minute. Are, and first of all, let's, let's back up. I wanted to ask about um, 
when you talked about how sometimes we hear, well, that's just the way it's always been. We've right. always done it this way. Right. Or my family's always done it this way. My right. mother had it. My grandmother had it. I have it. Mm -hmm. And some people, do you find that resistance? Yeah, it is. It is. And so, you know, uh, well, I guess it goes both ways. Yeah. Because for so long, women were never allowed to say anything. So the fact that you could say something made a difference. Um, you know, the world, we're pretty maternalistic. So what Mama told us was true. Yes. You know. And most of the time, it was pretty right, considering um, she may have come about it a different way. Yes. Or she would say, look, I had to do this and this, but you don't have to. Mm -hmm. you're, you're a smart girl. You can do that. Mm -hmm. You know. And so it, and she empowered, they empowered us. Um, and I think some people, do, you know, they may not have family to have that, that support or, you know, information. So that's what we should offer. Um, but I've always offered that because I could see that... You know, medicine is a, is a, you need the whole picture. It's not yes. just the physical part. And so many of our diseases, if you look, there's something going on that's stressing them or they're unhappy about. That if you don't fix that, you're not going to fix their blood pressure or their blood sugars sometimes. Yeah. So it's important. And you feel like your patients are, or, or even anyone you're talking to, um, mm -hmm. in your circles, everywhere, like people are more open to tracing that back to, wait a minute, I just want to sit for a minute and relax and find out, wait, I can trace this back. I'm well, doing this. I think a lot of people are, but there's some that don't want to know. Don't want to know. No, don't want to know. Right. And you better not bring it up, yes. you know, or you just know you've hit a bridge. We'll, we'll take that another day yeah you know, kind of thing or it's too painful yes and yes. some of the painful things that are out there that should have never been going on mm -hmm. are coming out and people are allowed to talk about it and you know and that's huge it that's really huge. is yeah and mm -hmm. there's some things that people are discovering that they buried and didn't know right that this happened to me oh my goodness i blocked well, that and it's yeah and i always talk traumatic. to people about anxiety and depression because I say we carry baggage with us, and we may not even know what it is. Mm -hmm. And it may have something 20 years ago, or as a child, mm -hmm. or you know, or just sometimes you don't remember them because they're so painful, mm -hmm. and the things start happening, and you got to figure that out. Yeah. So. Yeah, you really need to figure that out. Yeah. But ask for help with it. You don't have to do it by yourself. And I think some people feel like they're just right. all alone in that. Right. And if you don't know, if you can't help them, help them yourself, then, you know, get them referrals. And, you know, I do referrals all day long. I have a list of my counselors that I use, mm. you know, if they don't have an internist to kind of look over them, because a lot of folks have multi-medication, you know, multi-medical problems. And it's not something I, you know, there's so many new blood pressure medicines. I don't know. I don't want to know, you know, mm -hmm. it's like, <laughs> I don't know because I don't want to know that's not a good attitude but I mean I think that's the reality you know yeah. and there's really fine-tuning in many in many of these things so you know or get them to ask or if they're starting to show some kidney issues or liver issues and obesity is such a big deal and you know the the um, I'm told the most common source for liver failure these days is fatty liver, and mm -hmm. it's not alcohol related which we really? always thought it was alcohol we always did yeah. it's obesity it's just like the people with lung cancer that never smoked a day in their life. Mm -hmm. We're seeing those. So, yeah. so we, have to, we have to pay attention. Mm -hmm. And do you find that people, when they come in, and you must have to quickly assess, because someone, a woman going through menopause, and she may be carrying the load of so much that we know women do in general. Mm -hmm. um, not that men don't, but women, we know a lot of focus mm -hmm. on the things that women do. When they come in, and maybe they do have that 
all of these things we just mentioned. You don't know. A woman has something that locked in her history. She doesn't want to know. Right. Um, she is feeling isolated. How do you break through something, even if you don't know what it is yet? How do you master that? Well, there's a few things. One, we have a screener for menopausal symptoms. And so, as, uh, do you have any? Are they mild? Are they uh, severe? And the patients will say, I checked off every box and I'm severe. I had no idea. You know, I'm like, you kind of did, but you didn't want to know. But, you know, but I think that's an easy, that's a, I'm very visual, so that's an easy thing to check. Or, for example, with weight loss, there's so much binge eating out there. And really what it is is a form of ADD. Mm -hmm. And if you help them with their binge eating to help them lose weight, you correct their concentration and their focus and... I've had people in tears because they said, I never knew I could do this. Yeah. It's life altering. And so, you know, those are little screeners like that. Um, a lot of it you just can tell. When you walk in the room, you start talking to them, you know, what they're comfortable talking about or what they're focusing on, what they're talking about. And sometimes you have to bring them back in a little bit or you just have to listen. Mm. And I think listening is a big deal. It's huge in everything, I think. Yeah. Just that deep listening. Mm -hmm. just Mm -hmm. um, and have you had conversations before with you're, you've listened the whole time, really haven't said anything, and then they're like, oh, this was great talk, thank yeah. you so much. <laughs> if you let someone talk long enough, sometimes they'll get to where it they'll, is. they'll hear themselves go, it oh, <laughs> wait a minute. They just need permission sometimes in a well, safe place, which is what I think you provide right. for them. Just a safe place to come and just Yeah, they could just unload. say anything on the wall. You yeah. know, I tell them it can hit the wall. It's, you know, <laughs> that's what you need a counselor for, too. Yeah. It's your wall. You can say anything mm -hmm. because you need to get it out and figure out what's going on. Um, yeah, we always have talkers and sometimes you have to reel them in, you know, kind of thing. Um, or sometimes, you know, you, you try to help them along the way and they're determined they know what's right and they're going to do it and that's their right. Mm -hmm. And I really believe in patients' rights. And when that starts to happen, I start to say, well, you know, it's America. You can do what you want. Like if you don't ever want to have a mammogram, you know, I think that's medically not right. And I will write it in the chart and tell you that I offered it and you declined it. But it's your right. But my nurse also knows when I start to say it's America, we're wrapping up. It's yeah, because <laughs> <laughs> you're not you're not going to accomplish. I don't think badgering people or you can give them a prescription, but if they're not going to do it, if they're not even going to fill it. Let's not waste the energy. Let's do something else about it. Right. Yeah. Which is a good thing on the other side to just go in open and just hear everything that's available. Your right. doctor is just like you're not going to cram it down the throat and say you have to do this. Right. But it's like you, I'm telling you everything. This is available. Everything is here available to help you. Well, I'm always surprised, even in 2022, that people don't know how much is available for being treated in menopause. Yeah. You know, we have, you know, for some of the vaginal dryness which causes trouble, we have a pill. We have two inserts. I have my Mona Lisa laser. All of those work so much better than just the vaginal cream we had for 50 years. What's the I, Mona Lisa laser? Mona Lisa laser. Ah, that's my favorite. She was my first machine. <laughs> uh, but what it does is it drills, it's so microscopic, you don't even feel it inside the vagina, but it drills little holes. And in the healing process, even within days, you start to feel, um, you, you start to have less pain, less dryness. Um, and it's the kind of thing you have sensations you didn't even know you lost. And there's three treatments, each six weeks apart. So the second, so you're about 70% better on the first one. And so the second one gives the lubrication back and just more function of the vaginal walls. And then the third one makes everybody last for a year. 
and it was developed in Italy, mm -hmm. um, actually probably 20 years ago now, and um, it was very, very popular over there. It took a while to come across, and then I didn't look at it because it's a very expensive machine, so I didn't look at it for a while, but one of my patients had it done, and it was so impressive how much it did for her, mm -hmm. and so I felt like if I didn't offer it, it's not meant for everybody, but it's certainly an option, and it's a big option for some of my, uh, the breast cancer patients who can't use a lot of stuff, especially early on, right. and they're on anti estrogen medicines which really make that poor vagina get very dry and painful mm -hmm. it change you know your bladder function changes stuff like that mm -hmm. and um, so it, it can make a big difference for them yeah. uh, so that's important to know you know so those are all I mean we had vaginal cream and we had one brand it was never generic for 50 years mm -hmm. I mean it's a long time I shouldn't say 50 it's probably 30 but um, <laughs> but even now if if it's not covered by insurance they'll charge you $300 goodness and so we all have been in uproar about that for a yeah. long time. You can do compounding things, that helps sometimes. But we have all these other options that people didn't know. And mm -hmm. so, um, you know, in the estrogen world, we have pills, patches, sprays, pellets. Testosterone's another story because the FDA has never approved that for women. But we've used it off-label because we have good studies showing it's important. You just never can quite get it approved. Is there a specific medical reason for that? Why testosterone? Well, I think it's been a problem since the Women's Health Initiative. Mm -hmm. And, you know, hormones were so banished and it just wasn't great. It just wasn't great science. Mm -hmm. You know, if you start studying women that are 60 and the symptoms start at 50, you're going to get very odd, like heart disease. Uh, you don't improve heart disease. Well, we knew it improved for quite a few people, but if you're not studying her until she's 60, either she has it or is never going to get it. So it, there were just a lot of flaws. I mean, I think it raised a lot of issues. It also was at a time when we, you know, it kind of um, gave the hormone replacement company that actually donated the medicines uh, a really hard time. And the problem was, it was the only thing available. People forget there were no patches, there were no sprays, you know. And we talk about transdermal because it doesn't pass through the liver, so there's less issue with clotting, um, which the pills do. Mm. Although really the issue is one, smoking, smoking, smoking. Yes. Nobody should do. And then um, two, we've learned a lot more about clotting factors. So some people should just never use estrogen. They have certain like Leiden factor or different kinds of things. Um, so I always ask about family history of, of um, early heart disease mm. and clots. And you know, some of the younger women, when the first moment they started taking birth control pills, they got a clot. Well, they it turns out, and we just didn't know at the time. So, <coughs> excuse me. So getting back to uh, why, well, along the so they weren't going to approve anything, any kind of hormone. And there was a nice little tiny testosterone patch really being used for... Um, um, bones, but man, that no, they were not going to approve any hormone, just flat across the board. And so along the way, we had one company that was really very promising, and they had 10,000 women in their study. Um, they will approve a med for a guy with 500 in a study, and they've got, I always say they have 50 kinds for the boys. But um, they came back to that company and said, no, you don't have enough safety data, you know, you need more people. And they'd already invested millions and had 10,000 patients. So they just pulled it, they, I mean, they just gave up and stopped. And, and that's an injustice for women. And that's, yeah. you know, one of those deals where lacking, lacking science because you lack money, but that's not always the whole answer. And, you know, it's, it's sad because there's so much to us. 
Yeah, we mentioned that in a previous episode where you mm -hmm. were here. Remember, we talked about that it's not until recently where now there's been funding promoted to studying women. Right. That it just hasn't been done. And see, how crazy is that? Because <laughs> guys and girls are not the same. Now, right. there's a novel thought. And heart disease, one of my friends from college is a big um, heart disease um, expert in women. And, you know, they just present differently many times yes. and have been ignored. And, um, you know, it's like, Maybe they should be on the medicine, maybe they shouldn't because it acts differently in women. So again, you know, things are getting better. Mm -hmm. They're not great sometimes, but they're so much better than when we had nothing. That's right. We're moving forward. That's right. We're moving forward. We're just going to keep going, keep going, keep That's learning, right. you know. <laughs> and uh, women are pretty, pretty resilient, pretty, considering they are. how they're much tough we've little done. Characters. Yeah, so how yeah. far we've come. We're still That's here, right. <laughs> and uh, even though we haven't been studied, and we just keep trying stuff. That's but, right. Yes. Yeah. So how much does childbirth affect menopause? Does it? Oh, you know, I probably only think about it as, you know, some of the pelvic floor, if you deliver mm -hmm. a baby vaginally, mm -hmm. you know, I used to say a watermelon through a keyhole. It's a problem. And my baby yeah. was 11 pounds, yeah. three and a half ounces. And that's so a I can lot of that. <laughs> and, you know, and we also know just pregnancy in general and the tissues in, um, in Brazil for a long time, if you had money, you had a C-section because they did not want anything prolapsing afterwards, no damage ah. to the vagina. And they had like a 90 some percent and I remember going to a meeting and they said, you know, everybody was like, oh, you shouldn't do any C-sections, too many C-sections. And then I hear that and they say, everybody should be a C-section. I'm like, how, you know, we deliver them through the belly button or something? You know, what is the deal? But um, so it can affect tissues because even those ladies with their C-sections had changes and some would have some stress incontinence when you leak, when you cough or sneeze mm -hmm. and stuff like that. So we learned it's just being exposed to the pregnancy hormones can make a difference. Um, you know, if you haven't ever had a baby, that's your, your increased risk for breast cancer. Um, and then, but you know, you have to look at those because if this is a patient who was obese and had um, and never ovulated, so she never was pregnant, her risk factor is not her age, but her it's her obesity. Mm -hmm. Our BMI is our risk factor for cancer of the uterus of the inner lining, which is the most common, and it's because we have extra estrogen from the fat cells. Now, it doesn't seem to help them that much with menopausal symptoms, but it does raise their risk. And they have the double whammy, you have more estrogen, and you have less ovulatory protection because you're not ovulating. So it's called unopposed estrogen. Um, so you have to really be careful for folks and really talk to them about it and, and think of things. And, and that's true as they get older too. Mm. Mm -hmm. And as people come to you, what is the most common most, is, there, is there one common symptom that makes someone come in and say, okay, it's time to come see you, or I, I don't know what's going on, I don't feel myself. What is the, is there one common No, thing? it's kind of a constellation, mm. and not everybody has everything, mm. but a lot of it is fatigue, um, fogginess they talk about, and they just, I think that a lot is sleep deprivation, but it's just fogginess they talk, they can't function like they have. They're not as sharp as they had been, um, and they're unwilling to say, oh, it's my age. And I think you should never say it's my age because yeah. you should always make sure nothing else is going on. Now, maybe when you're 85, you could say it's your age, but I don't <laughs> think even then. No. So I think hot flashes, sleep, poor sleep, um, libido issues, that's a big deal. Um, and the testosterone for some women is a big deal. Yeah. Now, others don't miss it. So, yeah. And then, you know, it's also a relationship kind of thing, too, because yeah. lives change. Everybody has illness. Maybe your partner has diabetes or high blood pressure, you know, that kind of thing. So it changes things. Okay. So I think, I think it's, it's all those things, and it can be just one. Yeah. 
but you can fix them. You can do things about it. You can do things about yep. it. That's a good thing That's to wrap important. it up on. All yep. right. Well, thank you so much. Dr. Well, thank Douglas. you very much. This is very helpful talking about, I think, about whether, you know, mental health can affect menopause and how menopause mm -hmm. affects our mental health. So I mm -hmm. um, hope you come back. Let's talk next time maybe about things we can do to just keep forward thinking and, and uh, get out ahead of that mental health Great. and menopause. That'd All right. be wonderful. Thank you so much. Always thank a pleasure. You. Thank you. And everyone, thank you so much for joining us. You can download a new episode of these discussions every other Wednesday morning wherever you listen to podcasts. And we'll meet you right here next time on Doc Talk.